0: Welcome to Kairos Talks, the crucial conversation podcast. Hey guys and welcome to Kairos Talks. This is Chad your host and joining me today I have my friend Daniel McKinley. I feel like I just butchered your last name now that I just tried to say that out loud. How do you say that? Everyone everyone butchered it. Don't worry. McKinley. That's not fair. I yeah, I'm I'm just going to go with Daniel. Um, Daniel is my friend from the UK, I believe. Yeah. Right? And uh, he's here to talk to us about American politics today. Daniel, mm-hmm. why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what um, who you are, where you're
1: from, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, thank you very much. Yes. Uh, as you said, my name is Daniel. Um, I've worked in politics in the United Kingdom and in the United States, but limited in the United States for some years now, um, <clears throat> I've been the spokesperson for Trump UK on British television. So there's a, there's a, a preview maybe of what we'll be talking about later. I completely, um, forgot, about sorry. I completely forgot about that. that hey, is, uh, that's awesome. I told, I'm
0: now remembering that conversation from a couple of years ago. Yes, uh, cool, Trump UK, yeah.
1: that's hilarious. Okay, hey, it's cool, it's cool. I'm not, in that respect. but yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Um, I'm a featured writer on a few political blogs in the UK. Uh, I'm currently at Oxford University reading theology. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's a, a brief introduction for you there. Okay,
0: yeah. Now, you're, you're just a student at Oxford?
1: That's right? correct, that's okay. correct. Yeah, uh, Oxford,
0: that's where C.S. Lewis went.
1: That is, and I am the president of the Oxford University C.S. Lewis Society. There's, there's another one for you.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, I, uh, C.S. Lewis, all, one of my all-time favorite authors, um, reread his stuff once in a while, and he's just got some great depth and faith. We'll have to uh, chat more about that as we oh, absolutely. connect here. Um, so, wow, I, I wasn't expecting the the Trump, uh, that, that piece, I completely blanked on that. Really? Um, well, I guess some context, you know, uh, me and Daniel had met, we had some other friends that were really involved in politics uh consulting for local uh political candidates in Southern California, you know things of that mm. nature and uh Daniel had connected with them, and then we ended up having dinner I think at Denny's at like it was yeah eleven a m yeah. or eleven p m or something I don't even know, Some so we're just hanging time. out yeah. yeah and and it, it found it odd because me and you were hanging out and we were Christians, but mm. the other guys that introduced us weren't exactly christians and so you and i kind of connected and uh
1: yeah. and just had a good time with that I, I, am i remembering that right uh yeah that's correct yeah and then we uh we went to that bar in um Hemet, i think it was or was it just no it was just it may have been Bea- beaumont or banning yeah
0: it was, beaumont, yeah. It, it was a little it was great bar it was great really cool environment and me and you drank some scotch which is weird to the other guys because you know, yeah. so, you know, yeah, yeah, it was a good time. That uh, was a few years was, ago now, right? It was, was Trump getting elected or was Trump already elected?
1: I was there during the, uh, no, during the visit to London. So it must've been a year after Trump was elected. Okay, <clears throat> yeah, it was, uh, it was a crazy time.
0: I mean, think back to when we could go to one restaurant and hang out indoors and then go to another one also mm. indoors and without masks crazy four of us in a booth together crazy times from, from different, different households, households. It's In dis- different households that's right um yeah d- crazy how much has changed in, in that time um and you were telling me you're 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 visiting uh the states right now you're in, in south carolina that's uh, correct how's how's things going in, in britain um, what brought you over here?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's two different worlds, really. South Carolina and the United Kingdom at the moment. We're in our third lockdown in the United Kingdom at the moment. Uh, nobody's allowed outside uh, except for essential shopping or an hour's exercise a day. I think that's still the case. Wow. Um, yeah, no mixing of households uh, except for single parent. Uh, no, sorry, not single parent, single uh, person households, which can make a, a support bubble, so there, there's some, some provision uh, in that sense. Certainly not enough, as far as I'm concerned. Whereas here, it's a completely different world. Um, me and my wife uh, tested positive for COVID over Christmas uh, here in South Carolina, um, and we tested it at the local CVS, and we got an email from them uh, suggesting politely that we limit contact with people for the next ten days. Uh, which is a completely different world. You know, in the United Kingdom, if you test positive for COVID. And then you leave your house within 10 days, uh, you will be fined a significant amount of money. Um, they're doing these mega fines now as well, if you repeat offend. So it's a completely different world. I mean, you wouldn't know. In, I know it's different state by state, obviously. But in South Carolina, you wouldn't know there's a pandemic on. Oh,
0: huh. well, that's, uh, that's actually, I'm not, I, I mean, I guess I haven't talked to a whole lot of people in that area. We're in Southern California, we've got a lot of interesting things going on. We've got businesses that, you know, are shut down completely. We've got businesses that just don't care and post their fines on their windows, uh, kind of uh, as uh, trophies of their, their uh, refusal to adhere to the government standards. Um, but we also have, have people, you know, restaurants that are adhering, you know, as well, much, as, well as they can while staying open.
1: So out here, it's interesting, but we're in a very different culture than South Carolina. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've been following the situation with uh, John MacArthur's church in mm. California, sorry, with great interest. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, so let's let's jump into the main topic today. And and I'm sure there's a couple more tangents we can run on for sure, John MacArthur's church especially. Um, I've got some interesting conversations I've had with pastors up north and, and just some interesting views there, too. Um, but I I actually asked you to come on because I have been paying, not paying attention, I tried to be on social media as little as possible, because it's just, yeah, um, that's all I got rightly to say. say rightly so. Yeah, so but I, I saw your post, and, and it was right around when I want to say right before the Biden inauguration, and it was so, on the day of the Biden inauguration. That's right. And, um, and you said something specific, and I'm not recalling what it was, but I was very interested in, in your perspective as someone who, you're not an immigrant, you're not, you know, you're, you're here as a, a visitor, um, because you're a wife, and at in, in some point in time, you, you fully intend to go back to the UK. But I was curious, as an, as a, I guess, an outsider, no offense, but what, what's your, what's your views on what's going on with the presidents and, and the politics and, and all of that stuff? Um, yeah. What, what do you think about what's going on?
1: <clears throat> well, frankly, it's the whole thing is devastating to me. It really is devastating. Um, I, I have publicly been a, a big supporter of Donald Trump throughout his presidency, not uh, in an unqualified way. You know, I think he, he has a great deal of failings as, as a president, but also primarily, I think, as a man. Um but at the same time, uh, I saw a lot of good things that he did in his presidency, a lot of things which uh, to me felt extremely important. And I think he, he brought a lot of benefit to the world and to see his presidency end in the way in which it did uh, was truly heartbreaking. I had a conversation shortly after, and we, we may come back to this, but I, a friend of mine was head of security uh, for the Republicans um, in North Carolina and then in the runoffs in Georgia. Um, and we spoke briefly about you know corruption and whether he saw um, fraudulent stuff going on and, and things like that. Um, and I went off to have a walk with him later in the evening. Um, and we were both, he was also a very vocal supporter of Trump. And we both, it was the day after, I think the day after the um, Capitol Hill riots had occurred. And we both sort of said to each other, have we made a mistake in doing this? you know have have we been wrong to support Trump? because I think we both felt that there was a horrific uh, indictment upon Trump, and frankly, I think probably he's been um, he's been given more culpability for it than than perhaps he needs. Uh, I don't he, he didn't tell people to storm the Capitol Hill building. I think that's an important point to make, uh, but at the same time, his legacy is now permanently marred mm-hmm. by. Uh, what happened on Capitol Hill. Now, on the flip side, I'm also devastated that Biden is president of the United States. I mourn for America. I love America. I think it's a wonderful country. I think it's a beacon of hope for a lot of people around the world. Um, And Biden is not that. And frankly, it amazes me that yet again, in a country of brilliant people such as yourself, (laughs) Cool, <laughs> I've got that in later. But no, a country of brilliant people, innovators—you know, wonderful minds, academics, technicians, scientists. It can always get down to two people who, frankly, feel a bit moronic mm. and a bit ill-equipped to be doing the job. But Biden is, in my mind, Biden is a dangerous ideologue. Now that's why I said, you know, the Facebook post you mentioned was "God help America." And the reason I posted that was because I see very quickly the ideological um, emphasis that is already defining his presidency two weeks no less than two weeks in a weekend, or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> his presidency is already being defined by how many transgender people are in uh, his cabinet, or uh, the fact that black women spoke his um, Inaugurated now, of course, there's nothing wrong with having black women speak at your inauguration, but when that is the focus, what it tells me is that there is an ideology that is more important to Biden than anything else, and he's proving that time and time again. And I feel that he will continue to prove that. You know, in, in the first days of his presidency, not only has he reinstated uh, federal funding for abortion clinics that, that President Trump stopped and uh, removed all the border controls that President Trump put in place which were necessary um you know no matter how uncomfortable they may be uh, but you know he's he's also sort of uh, lost jobs through you know removing this pipeline that canada agreed to you know it's it's very concerning to see the direction that his presidency is already heading in i'm, I'm almost certain he won't last eight years he probably won't even last four frankly but um the the amount of damage he does hopefully will be mitigated by the fact that presidents ha- don't have a huge amount of power. Um, hopefully he'll be able to do very little, but uh, I'm worried. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. Um, I think that the the fact that you've got these these different things, and and I kind of want to go back to something you said on. Uh, there's two things that I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into, um, and. And for, and for the, today's purposes, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to push an agenda. I'm not trying to even adhere to my own political views, and I'm, I'm trying to dig into sure. this perspective of uh, of what what it looks like from the outside. And so, there's two things you, you touched on. and I'm really curious about. One, um, you said you were talking to your friend, the head of security, uh, and, and your guys' views on this idea of fraud. And it's interesting. You know, have got, I think, it's something like half of the you know people in America. Think that there's some merit to the broader claim. And I know a lot of people who are Republican who feel like, why would I vote for future elections? It doesn't even matter anymore. So I'm curious to see what he said, what you guys think about that. And then this ideology that the president is um president Biden is part of his his, I guess, his identity, his um, his term as president. Uh what what does that mean? And what does it mean for the country and does it have implications, excuse me, t- does it have implications for us as individuals as we, um, you know, regardless what your political or religious affiliation is, or I guess in light of your political or religious affiliation, what does that mean? And how do we, you know, to us, it's everyday life. You know, we, we kind of just go about our life and this happens and hopefully it doesn't affect us too much or hopefully it does. I don't know. But mm-hmm. what does that mean for us? So sure. You know, yeah, those
1: are your, your two questions. Uh, whichever order you prefer. Sure. Well, I'll start. I'll start with the first one. So, <clears throat> yeah, seventy five percent of Republicans believe that the uh, election was quote unquote stolen, and twenty five percent of Democrats, which I think is frankly extraordinary. But there you go. Um, you live in divided times. Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> I mean, I twenty five percent seems large to me on the Democrat side. Like exactly. I'm I'm yeah. that's, uh, Sorry, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Got it. Um, I mean, I, I've spoken with a lot of people here who are uh, very big into, I, I mean, I've spoken with a lot of people here that believe the election was, was stolen, uh, as, as is how we're terming it now, uh, a fraudulent election. Um, I've also spoken with a lot of people that were big into the QAnon stuff. And frankly, one of the best things that has come out of Biden's inauguration already is that all that stuff was proved to be wrong. Um, thank God. <laughs> people hopefully will move on from it now um was it stolen uh i don't think so frankly uh i think you know as i say the, the colleague i spoke to um was there on the ground and he saw um fraud happening but on a small scale and fraud happens on a small scale in every single election that's how that's that's Part and parcel of, of holding a democratic election on both sides, fraud happens. Um, sure, dead people, that, you know they found eight dead people that voted, right, well done, you know, whatever, who cares. Um, the question is not, was there fraud in this election? Because of course there was. The question is, was there significant enough fraud to change the outcome of the election? In other words, did Biden get given, through fraudulent means, an extra six or seven million votes? I don't think that happened and i think uh it would be frankly extraordinary if that happened in a world that is surveilled constantly by everyone a world where everything can be found online you know anyone can hack anything you know if they work hard enough if they got a good group of people online right there's it's been to court and it's not just to liberal courts or to courts with a, a democratic agenda they've been to the high court which was you know packed by trump uh they've been uh, supreme court sorry you call it him. they've been to state courts in in uh well all kinds of states all manner of states with all manner of judges uh, who have heard the evidence the best evidence from the best lawyers that trump could get um, and none of them have been convinced that being said my colleague did say that he th- felt that there were more fraudulent votes in this election uh, than he has previously seen. And there's certainly concerns as to mail-in voting. It's, it's a very common practice in the UK. And so I think a lot of people in Britain sort of felt like, you know, oh, why, why is everyone fussing over this? But what I don't think they understand is it's not that common a practice here. And so you haven't developed the same safety nets in this country that we have in the UK for voting methods. So much so, I'm sure you I'm sure... You saw this and, and many other people uh, saw this story about um, Jeff Bezos and the Amazon, industri- um, not industrialization, sorry, uh, unionization. And he, he, uh, his workers were having a vote on whether or not to unionize. And he appealed to a court to ban mail-in votes because he thought that they were liable to be fraudulent. This coming from Jeff Bezos, the man who funds the Democratic party, you know, virtually <laughs> single-handedly. That seems extraordinary to me, and certainly uh, questions need to be answered on that front. Um, also, we had this; everyone's seen the graph that went sort of vertically, yeah. vertically up overnight. Um, and I think, as far as I'm aware, the people on the ground that, that dealt with that claimed that it was a computing error. Now, you've worked with computers; we all work with computers now. You know, Zoom constantly. Uh, to me, it seems much more likely that it was a computing error than that there's this massive cabal that's adding votes and hoping nobody would notice. I mean, computers are very common. We, you know, we, all, we all experience the f- f- uh, pitfalls of technology. And so that seems far more likely to me than, than a, a cabal. That being said, on the other hand, I think uh, Ted Cruz's response was, was good in, in the house. In the sense that he said, well, there is clearly whether or not there's fraud in this election, people believe there is, and part of um, a democracy functioning well is people having trust in it. And if people don't have trust in it, i.e., seventy five percent of Democrats, twenty five, uh, sorry, seventy five percent of Republicans, twenty five percent of Democrats, then there needs to be a, an independent public inquiry. And he's quite right to suggest that, or whatever the equivalent of an independent public inquiry is here. Uh, that's right, you know, we need, we need to believe in the systems in which we participate, or we won't participate, as you rightly say. Uh, and it could have been dealt with in a much better way than it has been. Personally, I think the reason it hasn't been dealt with, because traditionally something like this would be dealt with by the FBI. The FBI, after recent events in history, particularly around Hillary Clinton, I think are terrified of appearing politicized. And so they wouldn't touch it. Uh, because they don't want to appear politicized especially when a democratic uh, president is coming into office who controls uh the purse strings right who controls their budget i suspect that they will probably pick this up in a few years time and will hold some kind of investigation and show that while there were individual acts of fraud there was no systemic uh cover-up no systemic project to falsely elect joe biden as president so that's your first question the second question was,
0: remind me, what was the second question? The second question was Biden's, oh, you used a word, now I'm blanking on what it is.
1: Biden's. Um, oh, that's right. How will, how will it affect us on the ground, Biden's ideological pen? Yes, right? I, his, his, yes, <clears throat> the, the
0: ideology of his term and what it means. Sure. Uh, for for his term, for our country, and if possible, distill into uh, what it means for us on a personal level. You know, what it means for, you know, I live in California. Um, if you're Republican, it doesn't matter because, you know, they certified their vote as Democrat, I think five minutes after the polls closed. And all of the Republicans were like, that makes sense. You know, yeah. we we voted blue. That was great. Whatever. Cool. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, different states, different political, belief, political, beliefs, and sure.
1: political beliefs are going to have various applications. So, what, what do you think that means for us? Well, um, it's difficult to know exactly. It's difficult to know how far Biden will go, how far he'll be able to go. I think what it what it does mean for us is an increasing um, change, and I don't think I think people underestimate the power of change on the human life. Change is happening so radically and so quickly. In both the ideological and the technological realms and people are unable to keep up which is why you know um suicide is through the roof and mental health problems are through the roof because we're suddenly exposed to a world that we didn't know exist it existed and we'll increasingly have to uh people will be to use sort of theological terms sifted by this in terms of what they believe and what they're willing to practice there are you know who knows how long it is until uh, like in canada for example or like in britain which has recently actually been been stopped by the supreme court some some of, some of the progress if you want to call it progress um you know how long before you are legally mandated to use somebody's preferred pronouns mm. you know that seems like a very small thing uh, but actually it's not and it, it's it's ideological warfare it's a creeping social totalitarianism and people will have to stand up and be counted if they don't believe that this now if this is your thing great go for it but i don't think it's the vast majority of people's thing i think the vast majority of people including old school lefties i mean my whole family are radically left-wing and old school, so, you know, my grandparents met in the the only communist bookstore in London, right? You know, (laughs) Old revolutionary communist Jews. Nice. Um, But even they look at this world where people can wake up one day and decide that they're a man or a woman and don't understand it. And I think that that will play a big part because it's the next frontier. You know, women's rights was the frontier of the sixties. Gay rights was the frontier of the 80s. Uh, the next one is trans rights. And also, you know, BLM will continue to sort of trundle in the background and, and create more criminal damage around, around the world. Um, you know, and that's tragic, but it's sort of very, very little anyone can do about it, you know, unless you sort of completely lock down everything, you know, and the moment these protests start, you know, you remove the rights of protest or whatever. It's very little anyone can do about it, but the transgender stuff will be legislated. And, you know, there there are legitimate questions to ask around gender identity, gender dysphoria. It certainly uh, exists. You know, it's a phenomenon. It has existed for a long time. People feeling as though they are uh, trapped in in the wrong body. The question is how we deal with that. Mm. Uh, And I think declassifying it as a mental health disorder will be disastrous for people, frankly, because, you know, we don't treat any other dysphoria as... as, um, as though it were true uh, but the worst part of it I think is not you know frankly if if, if people want to live lives of, of another gender then you know all power to them it's sort of none of none of my business um the problem comes when number one uh, language is policed I think language policing is is the first bastion of any authoritarian dictator when you look throughout history so that's something to look out for but also um children children being given unnecessary surgery uh, for the sake of ideological gains which is which is what is happening children being operated on unnecessarily for the sake of an ideology and it's petrifying to me that biden is legitimizing this in the way in which he is and will continue uh, to to strive to to make this much more widespread and much more accepted and and you know, it's it's a big frontier for him, quite clearly. He mentions transgender in almost every speech, even though they make up, what, 0.3%, 0.2% of the population. They're clearly at the forefront of his mind, and, and there will be more of them. And there will be more and more children who are transitioning because their parents are encouraging them to do so. And we will see, 40, 50 years' time, a slew of people suing doctors And suing state legislators, and you know suing people for unnecessary surgery on them as children. You know you can read some of the horrific stories of the people who have had um, gender reassignment surgery and then regretted it, and and those are increasing. You know the John Hopkins Center here in America was the first to perform gender reassignment surgery, and they won't do it anymore. They won't do it because they've seen the long term effects. It's disastrous. And legitimizing that will come through language policing because people won't do it naturally. Language language changes naturally. We know this. Right. But when it's when it's
0: you know litigated, so to speak, when it's made into a law, I, I think I think you're right. We see George Orwell, uh Vernon mm-hmm. One, all these examples where you know hate speech uh is is mm-hmm. kind of theme in, in the authoritarian dictatorships that occur they burn books they limit what you can say what you can think um which is exactly what is
1: happening right you know there there will come a time probably before long where even this conversation we're having now will be illegal Mm. and that should frighten people it really should yeah whatever you think whether you're the biggest trans activist in the world it should frighten you that people cannot express you know I mentioned earlier that I come from, from Jewish stock. The most terrifying thing to me in the world is that in Britain, uh, being anti-Semitic is a criminal offence. I find that terrifying. Because who knows who these people are? They're pushed on the ground. They're radicalized by you know meeting other people. Their, their, their views become elevated by the fact that it's sort of a social, uh, you know, inability to, to say these things. They, they they think well there must be some truth. If somebody wants to stop us saying something, mm. there must be some truth. I'll tell you what, if you want to sell a book, ban it. Works every time. Oh best my way God. to sell a book. I don't think you've listened to this or that episode
0: on our podcast, but I don't have a book on my on, in my my office right here. It's in my in my room. Um but it's it's anti-fragile. And and my best friend and I Jeff we talk about it and he says if you want an idea to grow, then try and get rid of it,
1: ban it exactly. Yeah, yep. works the time. And the thing is, there's a perfect example of this. There was a chap called Nick Griffin, in the UK, who ran the British National Party, which was a far right, um, fairly unsavoury party. And they were gaining gaining great traction in the United Kingdom. They were gaining votes. They were gaining uh, potential seats in an upcoming. Uh, they well, they had council seats, and they were potentially going to get European seats and various other things. And people thought, why on earth are they gaining traction? The BBC invited them on for a debate. Uh everyone said, no, you can't do this, you can't air their views, it's despicable, blah, 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 blah. They went on. They were exposed for what they believe. You know, Nick Griffin saying atrocious things like, you know, certain races are less evolved than others, or the Holocaust didn't happen, or something like that. They oh. disappeared overnight. Because suddenly people thought, actually, this isn't for me. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It's almost as if the powers that be think that everyone in the world is wicked. It's a sort of original sin. It's a secular original sin. Everyone is wicked and we have to do everything we can to stop their wickedness. Or if if we just let them, if we let them think, say, do what they want, they'll be racist and they'll make everyone else racist they'll be homophobic and they'll make everyone else homophobic. They'll be transphobic. They'll make everyone else they'll be misogynistic. They'll make everyone. Else. It's, it's a, such a lack of distrust for your own populace. And it's such, um, a, a, just a coddling of your own populace and it's dangerous. It's deeply dangerous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, the George Orwellian, uh, the Orwellian society, I think I've heard it referenced as, you know, books are banned and, and these things are happening and i mean i remember in high school reading those books and they like oh that can never happen and now i'm like oh shoot dot crime is a couple you know pages away you know we at our work we have these cool little camera covers and i always get in trouble because i never use mine but when you're done with the video you're supposed to you know put the camera camera cover over your webcam or whatever and i always forget you know whatever i mean i got nothing interesting to show you, you see me making funny faces on my computer i don't know what to tell you but. You know, it's like that thing that could actually happen. It may be happening. You hit accept those terms and conditions and no one reads those, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, yeah, I, I, sorry, it's okay. We've got more to talk about. I think we're not done, but we're, I think we're going to have to split this one in two. And so I want to give, I think you kind of stumbled on something that I think if someone's listening to this and, and you know, they've got to take a break before the next one, you know, they can, they can take away. So, up. Yeah, I, I've got one or two things from this. So, you know, one um, I think, you know, the fact that from an outside perspective, you, you don't think the election was stolen or that it was possibly stolen and that, that, that fraud. And, and you mentioned the, the, the overnight graph where it has a line, you know, it keeps going and, and that's not turned into a t-shirt that says fraud or whatever, you know, um, that, that that wasn't likely and, and, you know, whether or not it was, you know, the fact that so many people think it was, you know, to your point, kind of makes it a, a valid concern, mm-hmm. but the fact is that, that Joe Biden, as far as anyone knows, and is president mm-hmm. and we have a kind of an obligation to to move on and, and trust God and, um, and, and really see how we can do that. And then I think the other thing is as we look at his policies and really the agenda of his term that's about to take place and what he's doing, um, looking at truth,
1: Mm. looking at the, go ahead. My piece of, you know, if I summed up what I wanted to say, it would be whatever you believe in, stand up for it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't say or think What you want to say or think because pretty soon if you allow people to do that you will not be able to say what you want to do and think you won't be able to teach that to your children what you hold to be fundamentally true your children will never hear if you do not stand up for it whatever that may be interesting no
0: i I like that and i I like that you leave it open whether you're a democrat or republican you're a christian or not you know and and i would say you know same Kind of the inverse is true, too. If you have an opinion or a view, you know, you don't have to push that onto other people. Absolutely. Uh, you can still have freedom of speech, and other people can also have freedom of speech. And, uh, you know, we're both Christians. We believe there's absolute truth. We believe that there's a God who died on the cross for our sins and all that stuff. But if you choose not to believe that, that's not my responsibility. And if you want to teach your kids something else, it's none of my business. Hmm, quite uh, right. I think your point. We can't. We I can't say, hey, I you know I want this thing to happen and you not to be able to share your views because at that point we run into the same dilemma on either side of the spectrum. Right now, I think I think Christians are going to probably be the most hit with the coming policies specifically, um, but I think we've got to you. I think you're right, we've got to speak our minds in a peaceful way to speak our minds and, and be heard. <laughs> in you know in the world in, in the world. exercise your rights while you have them or you'll lose them. Mm, I like that. It's kind of like when I started eating at the beginning of quarantine it was back exercised my body before I
1: lost it. Um not that I had much yeah, we all should have done that. Yeah.
0: gained <laughs> <I guess laughs> so much weight
1: since I've been here I tell you. American food man, I don't know how you guys live beyond the age of
0: 40
1: <laughs> well I, I don't I don't eat breakfast and then I
0: make try and sort of kind of eat healthy I don't know if I can say that honestly anymore, um, yeah well real quick we're gonna we're gonna pause and stop we're gonna keep going here um but we are at the end of our term uh, term uh, uh, uh we're at the end of our our session so we'll come back for part two guys as we dive a little bit deeper into uh, Daniel's views as we explore American politics and what it means for the everyday life uh, we will see you next time on Kairos talks. Thank you for joining us on Kairos Talks. We hope that this crucial conversation was impactful for you. We hope you join us next time. Don't forget to subscribe and join in on the conversation in the Kairos Talks Facebook group. Thank you and have a great day.